I discovered my foot was still on my shoe. It was just underneath a train being tumbled away. Welcome to Plus Stories. Hello, fellow passengers. This is Bruce, the bus driver. I'm sorry that we've been running late. We've had some mechanical issues with the bus, but uh, we're going to get back on schedule now with our first podcast. And I've got to warn you, it's, um, it's not for the faint of heart. A childhood friend of mine who I had not seen in decades got on the bus and we did some catching up. And then he had uh, quite the story to tell me that happened back in 2005. And um, I'm just going to let him tell it. So if you feel like eavesdropping, then please take a seat nearby and listen into our conversation that's already begun and enjoy the trip. Thanks. <laughs> that's funny. I can't believe how long it's been, though. Yeah, last time, I don't know when the last time I actually physically saw you, but that would have been in, you know, the 80s, right? Yeah, high school. Did you go to Sheraton after that? No, I, I went to Niagara Film School. Okay, Niagara. Yeah. Niagara College. It wasn't even called film school because I feel like the film school part was like an afterthought. Okay. Yeah, it was like, it was a triple major, at least for me. I, I triple majored in radio, TV, and film in Niagara Falls and then, mm, okay. then moved to Vancouver. Nice. Lived in Vancouver for eight years running a film production company doing commercials and music videos and things like that. And then ended up launching a TV series about the video game industry. And that ended up sending me down to California. Not not Los Angeles, but Laguna Beach. Well, even better. Yeah, where I worked on video games for five years. And yeah, we were a complete ghost to each other. Yeah, well, we just grew up and everybody went their own way. Yeah, well, I stayed in town, went to university here, and then uh, took off for uh, six months backpacking through the South Pacific with some friends. And then your parents moved out west from the neighborhood. So yeah, we became completely disconnected. Until apparently 20 years ago, mm -hmm. your parents ran into my mom at the bank in Victoria, of all places. Yeah, they took a big trip. They drove across country to take an Alaskan cruise. They didn't go there to visit my parents, right? No, they just ran into each other by, by coincidence at the bank. Yeah, and it's funny because they had lived across the street from each other at one point. So weird. My parents just happened to pop into a random bank when your mother was there. Okay. So they ended up having lunch together, and I think at your parents' place. And then when they came home a few weeks later, they gave me your business card. And at that very time, I was finishing a screenplay. So the timing was a bit coincidental, too. Well... But I was happy to hear that you stuck it out and were doing well in the uh, film and television industry. I'd actually followed your childhood dream. That's a that's amazing. <laughs> I didn't have the nerve to pursue my career in film, but screenwriting and video editing were sort of hobbies all along. Yeah, in grade seven, Mr. Doyle asked us to write an essay in French about what path we would follow in our careers. So I wrote that I was going to go to Hollywood and work in the film industry, that I was going to uh, make movies like Steven Spielberg, and that I'd be driving a red Lamborghini by the time I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> so when he handed me back my paper, he laughed and said, 
bon chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not encouraging, it sounds to me. Yeah, probably not my favorite teacher. I think, unfortunately, some of that stuck with me. <laughs> well, I didn't listen to any of that stuff. My mom was creative and she was very encouraging about anything creative. And so, yeah, I came to L.A., though, after I had started in Vancouver making a film production company out there. So I had a lot of background for eight years trying to make movies in Canada in a place where the only thing that Canada was funding was either Aboriginal stories or Canadian content, whatever that meant. Yeah. It had to be depressing. It had to be a family of children is driven off a cliff and people have to live through the tragedy. That seemed to be the start and end of Canadian film. And really, I wanted to do lasers, robots, spaceships, dinosaurs. None of that existed in Canada. So I really was like, Hollywood is the place for that. They seem to get it. Yeah. Entertainment is what movie making should be. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I thought we might come up being filmmakers together. Yeah, for a while I did too. But then the opportunity comes around again because our parents happen to meet by chance. So you got back to my email right away and told me to send a script, which I did immediately. And I was thinking it was ironic because I just a few days earlier had registered this script with the Writers Guild of America. And that screenplay, by the way, had a lot to do with the dangers of mass transit, if you'll remember. <laughs> So you wrote me that you were enjoying L.A., that you had a small production company, and that you were just heading out the door to do a test shot with a camera. So it was a week later, one evening, I called home from work on a payphone to check in on my wife and our son, who is about four at the time. And she told me in our conversation that you had called and that you had read the script and liked it, which was great. But then you apologized to her that it took you a whole week to get back because you had been in the hospital. That's how you found out. Yeah, that's when I found out about this shocking news of yours. So Scott, I know you have an amazing story to tell me about the day that you and I got back in touch by complete coincidence after nearly 20 years. I can't believe I haven't actually shared the story with you before. I mean, it was uh, a bit of a life changer, I'm going to say. Hmm. Although, well, no need to preamble this. You want to hear a story? I'll tell you a story. What better place than this bus? My story doesn't involve a bus, but it does involve mass transit. So set your way back machine to, I guess, October 30th, the night before Halloween, 2005. I lived in a downtown Los Angeles loft, big, great artistic space in, in downtown. And I'd gone to bed with my two kitty cats and drifted off. Yeah. Next thing you know, I wake up. And by wake up, I mean I'm in a dream, but I'm sitting in this pile of of rocks okay you know a bunch of pebbles and i feel like it's wet everywhere right. so i'm like i'm in this wading pool filled with rocks but i look down and sort of get my bearings it's not water uh it's blood there's, what? there's blood everywhere that's a hell of a dream i'm under a big concrete bridge okay i look down at my leg and there is a foot missing uh holy shit um my first thought is okay luckily i'm dreaming this is fine everything is fine i see my foot missing there's blood coming out of there at a pretty high rate and it's certainly filling up all around me oh boy i don't know how you're supposed to force yourself out of a dream but i wasn't waking up so 
I thought, all right, cool heads prevail, of course. If this was real, let's just say, sure. what would be the right thing to do next? Well, obviously, the first thing is to stave off the bleeding, to stop it if I can. I've got my leg down to the ankle and no foot. Oh, Scott. I've told this story to people with less strong stomachs, and it didn't go well. I bet. What is going on is that the skin around the, the ankle is just sort of all shredded up, and the bones, uh, well, there's no, there's no ankle bone. There's nothing from keeping the bones from chopsticking, if, okay. if that makes sense. And you're sitting in a big... Uh... I'm sitting in a big pool of blood, yeah. Wow. My foot is not at the end of my ankle. It's somewhere else. I don't know where. So how do you wake up from a nightmare like that? I don't know. Well, usually isn't the terrible dream like when you hit the ground after falling off a building? It's the ground hit that wakes you up, not the falling itself. You get the falling. The falling is the fun part. I've never hit the ground. Oh. It's a tickling in the stomach that wakes me up. <laughs> no, I don't know who's waking you up by tickling your stomach. That's not important right now. <laughs> well. So I'm sitting up. My And and this is one of those real constricting. I, could ha- I was having a really hard time breathing, but I was functional. So I'm like, okay, what I need to do is stop the bleeding by what I imagine there were two arteries going down into the foot. I'm not exactly sure if that's true, but I'm pretty sure it is. At least, or maybe that's what I saw. So I pinched down on these two arteries. You know, this means the bones are chopsticking together. They're making this crunchy kind of sound. I'm squishing down, and, and it's very slick. All the blood's everywhere. So trying to get a handle on this, you know, it's like handling a chicken that you're trying to break uh, into pieces okay. to go into a cooker. Yeah. You know, are you okay there? <laughs> you look a little uh, green. Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit faint right now. I'm sorry, man. Oh, Wow. I'll be okay. I guess I stopped the bleeding, right? So I'm, I'm stabilized myself. Uh, all right. Well, what's the next thing I should do if this were real? Which clearly it is not. I guess start yelling. I'm like, well, I should call for some help probably. Yeah. Because if this was real, even though I've pinched off the bleeding, how long have I got? Uh, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, your foot has been torn off. So yell for help. I didn't start screaming like a panicky person. I called out like a Canadian person that doesn't want to disturb anybody. Okay. You know? Hello. Hello. <laughs> like that. And guess what? Two people <laughs> arrive. Oh, good. And where exactly were you? I look over and it turns out I'm right next to the L.A. River. So out of the L.A. River come these two gentlemen. Now, of course, I'm making this stuff up in my dream. So I've assumed I have assembled these two people. I've manifested them. And they are characters. Oh, good. (laughs) As you know, I'm in the film industry. I got the imagination. And I guess I've imagined these two. Cliché wouldn't be right, but they were certainly characters. Okay? Okay. Um, Well, this is your dream, after all, (laughs) Scott, but... But two people coming out of the L.A. River to find you in the condition you were in. <laughs> I, I, I got to hear this. This one guy, he's a black gentleman with pink track pants, like capris, yeah. diamond studded glasses that like flare up like cat's eyes. Wow. And he was flamboyantly gay. So right. he kind of sashays over <laughs> to me. And his friend is the polar opposite, Mm. another black guy, but he's wearing all black clothing and everything on it is labeled Raiders, Uh Raiders cap, Raiders jacket, Raiders pants. Okay. Okay. So you're saying um, 
that he's a Raiders fan. He was a Raiders fan for the badassery that it might entail, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I do. I do see that look around here once in a while. Whereas our, our pink track pants guy could be the same. Yeah. Well, they are telling you a lot about themselves without saying a word. And I bet you would wonder if they were even real. Um, <laughs> I was certain they weren't real. I really was. And we'll call them horn-rimmed. <laughs> horn-rimmed? How about... Or pink track pants. Let's go with pink track pants. You like that. Okay. And the other guy is Raiders. Raiders, he goes over to another area. Pink track pants comes over to me, and I notice he's standing on these train tracks. Okay, I... So I'm, I've pieced another piece of the puzzle. I'm next to some train tracks in between the L.A. River underneath the 6th Street Bridge, it turned out. Okay. And so Pink track pants is standing there, and he says to me, Child, you a mess. For $5, <laughs> I call the police for you. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he said, for $5, I call the police for you. <laughs> so so he's a businessman. But again, this is your dream. Now, okay, I'm still dreaming. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Had I reached into my right pocket, I would have found my cell phone, and I would have made that call myself. And that call would have gone something like, hello, 911, I'm sorry to bother you. <laughs> I've been hit by a train. Oh, wow. So you really were hit. I'm injured. Yeah, I, I, it's quite clear I've been hit by a train at this point. And I'm noticing that there's not just blood coming out of my ankle, but touching my face, my chest, my legs, like my hands. It's There's blood everywhere. I was more blood than not blood. <sighs> okay, well. And so this is getting pretty intense dream-wise. You don't say that five bucks is looking like a bargain right now. That's what I thought. $5 is a bargain. Had I reached into my right pocket, I would have found my phone. But I didn't have that hand available because it was too busy pinching off these two arteries to keep from bleeding out. So I reached in with my left hand mm -hmm. into my left pocket, and I pulled out the only thing that was in there, and it happened to be a $5 bill. Well, isn't that interesting? I hand him the 5 bucks, and mm -hmm. he takes it from me very gingerly, <laughs> you know, like index and thumb, nice and delicate, like I was handing him a tea bag, uh -oh. an infected tea bag. Oh. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> So then Raiders, he's down a little ways. He's maybe 40 feet ahead of me, down the tracks a bit, messing okay. with something. And then I see him pick up this string of plastic, electronic, wires, glass. Oh, shit, that's a video camera that's been busted to hell. It was just this weird, busted-up creature of electronics. Oh. Raiders guy, he goes, dude... Your camera's fucked. <laughs> yeah. Okay? I went from being in this dream mm. and having this flash of all the memories of what really happened suddenly zoomed up to the front of my brain, and I remembered mm. getting up in the morning, getting my camera, my tripod, going down to these train tracks, setting up on these train tracks, and filming a train coming towards me. Okay. And uh, why were you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> what I was there for was to collect a test shot because I had a 3D camera crew coming up from New York oh. in a few days. I wanted to get a test for where do I shoot the shot of a train coming towards me for a movie I was working at on at the time called Empty Chamber. It was just a low-budget indie action movie with a buddy. Oh, yeah. I remember you sent me the promo shots for that. 
I needed to have a shot where me and him jump past a speeding train, which is easy enough. You film a train go by, and then you film a couple of guys jumping across the tracks, and then you rotoscope and marry the two together, and it looks dangerous. But it's certainly not dangerous. But apparently, going to a location scout on your own is quite dangerous, I discovered. <laughs> Especially if it happens to be in a train yard. So you're lying there hurt and helpless. Are you uh, worried about these two people? You know, I mean, I wasn't in danger of these two mm. guys, you know, if I was just hanging out there. They were kind of angels in a way. I was getting a really good deal on a phone call to 911. Okay. You know, a bargain price. Suddenly, though, as soon as that guy said that my camera was a mess and all that flashback of what had happened and what I was doing there... Yeah, everything became instantly real and quite frightening. Oh, I can feel the panic. And how long has it been now? I mean, I, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes. Since you've regained consciousness. I think I mm. died and then rebooted in a way that is very difficult to explain to the living. Then I won't ask then. But time is running out. And when he said, I'll call you the, pl oh. the police for you for five bucks, this became extremely important. Yeah, no kidding. It went from, hey, yeah, sure, make that call, whatever, in a dream, to, yes, I will be dead here unless you make that call. Oh, Scott, again. So what should happen next? The guy gets on the phone and makes the call. You think? No, that's not what happened. What happened was... Oh. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Big track pants pulls out his phone. He's holding the $5. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of just going ahead and making the call, a okay. Raiders guy says, Hey, man, we got to go buy crack. <laughs> okay. So Raiders doesn't really give well, a shit. He does. He's not really involved. He's far enough mm -hmm. away that he's he's not the point man. Okay, but he tells Track Pants, come on, dude, we got to go buy crack. Track uh -huh. Pants is like, hey, man, that's cool. I'm going to buy five bucks more crack. And he holds up the five dollar bill. <laughs> I didn't know crack was so cheap. <laughs> well, Track Pants says, well, look, I just got to make this phone call. Raiders guy says, well, you've already got the money. Let's go. Which is not what I wanted to hear at the time. <laughs> I guess not. At which point, this puts a logic bomb in track pants where he stands there for what appeared to be 30 minutes. Oh, no. Looking at his phone, mm -hmm. looking at the $5. Oh. Phone. $5. Phone. What? Right? Like... The time that it seemed that he took to just make the decision, I've got the five bucks, should I just go? To making a call, it would have the call would have been done three times over had he just done it. But he stood there and he waited yeah. and he pondered and he considered. Just to dial three numbers. <laughs> That's right. Nine one one. So he says something that I just did not see coming. Mm -hmm. Track pants after Lots and lots of deliberation says to me, nah, my mom got hit by a train. I got to make that call. <laughs> you, you can write this stuff, but you can't put it in a screenplay. No, you put that in a screenplay. It doesn't fly. Yeah. It's too ridiculous. <laughs> nah, my mother got hit hmm. by a train. I've got to make that call. So he does make the call. He dials up 911. I'm laying there. I, I'm still like... 
I may pass out at any moment. I can't breathe at all. And I'm becoming to really realize how messed up my breathing is and how little oxygen I have left. He calls up 911. He says, hello, 911. Listen, we down here at the train tracks. This boy, he'd been hit by a train. His foot is gone. If you can get down here in about five minutes, that'd be good. If you're going to take 10 minutes, just stay home. He'd be dead. Oh, jeez. I'm so sorry, man. That's, uh... uh and I'm... Uh, 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 I don't know what to say about the. He's just... Uh, okay, look, I, I felt like, okay, you know what? I can last 10 minutes. Hmm? Just tell him to come, no matter how long it takes him. And how much time has passed since you uh, were hit? My time evaluation is not trustworthy mm-hmm. right now. Okay. I, I, it's not. I can't really tell how long things are taking or not taking. So you must be in shock. And these two guys. So um, Raiders is like, okay, you're done. Let's go. And Track Pants, you know, I think he's thinking about his mom. And I don't know what the story is with his mom. But he's just like, yeah, no, maybe we don't rush off. And I'm like, okay, great. Hey, listen, I say to him. He's off the phone with 911. Apparently, they're going to show up, right? I say, hey, look, I I can't breathe. Can you help lower me so I can lay down on my back? And his response is, nah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) You see, I can't touch you, you know. Because of the blood. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I did too. You know, I understood the blood, especially in Los Angeles. Right. And he's most definitely a gay man, and he's, he'll be more conscientious of that, and fair enough. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, I understand. And then I look over and I see that he's set down some sort of satchel, you know. I say to him, is that your bag? Yeah. Would you mind kicking that over this way a little bit? And he didn't really know what I was up to, I guess, but he just went, okay. And then he kicked the bag and it essentially slid a few feet behind me. At which point I took the opportunity to just lay back and landed my head on his bag as a pillow. What I didn't know until then was that I had a gaping hole in the back of my head, filling his bag full of blood. You know, the blood, (laughs) which he didn't want, but now he's got... And in massive quantities. Holy crap. I was a living corpse right there. Okay. Mm. So I lay back. I land on this thing. And suddenly, I thought it was hard to breathe before. What it turned out, I'll skip ahead just a little bit because I did make it to the hospital. Of course. I think that's probably obvious as I'm here now telling you this story. I, When I was at the hospital, the doctor came to me and said, hey, you've broken your ribs and punctured your lung. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, oh, my ribs how many ribs and he goes oh well all of them (laughs) all of them he says (laughs) all of them that's right and so I fall backwards and then the ribs caved in onto my chest and not only was one punctured lung empty the second lung was now being crushed by the broken ribs which are falling on it so it was pushing all the remaining air out of what I had which was at least half capacity and now it's going down worse and you're on a teaspoon of blood by now. Yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a, a teaspoon of blood. I'm still <laughs> pinching my leg, of course, right? Because yeah. uh, and so I'm sort of like on my back, but my knees are sort of up in the air a little bit, while so I can reach my ankle. That's still being pinched off in this death grip that I have been holding. So I say to the guy with the last amount of air left in my lungs, I say, "Hey, can you lift me up?" And he. <laughs> You know, I need to be sitting up again to let the ribs lean forward. He says for the third time, nah. (laughs) I'm sorry. sorry. It's so ridiculous. He says, 
<laughs> nah, I can't, you know. And I went, yeah, be because of the blood. Because of the blood. I get it. And so I just do this sort of pedaling in the air. I kind of try to get up some momentum while still holding on to the ankle. Okay. I do a little pedaling, and then I kick downward, and I flip myself back up to a seated position. Feeling your lungs, but sitting up. And so now I'm sitting up. I lean forward enough to let my, I f- like, feel my ribs fold forward, you know, come back into the chest, and I am able to get a bit of breath. And meanwhile, the pink track pants, he looks at his book bag, which is now <laughs> soiled with blood, <laughs> a big satchel of human mm. plasma. <laughs> I'm sure he's thrilled. I'm sitting up. I'm trying to figure out where to go from here. What happens next, track pants, he finds some shirt or pants or something on the ground. This is a place where homeless people do spend some time. There were clothes. There was stuff around. He basically tosses one leg of this pant or whatever under my leg, you know, being careful not to come in contact, you know, because of the blood. <laughs> and he chucks this pant under me. And and I, and I get what, what he's going for here. I, I'm able to put one side across and the other side. And I'm not sure if he came in and at least made the loop to make the knot. But I had to let go. I let go of my leg and I tied that knot down. <laughs> Pulled that shit tight. Okay, good. Well, at least you've got most of your bleeding stopped now. That's step one. So I imagine you've got this makeshift tourniquet as tight as you can make it. I gotta be tight enough that those arteries don't get opened up. Uh, yeah. So, (laughs) I'm just wondering what happens next. This third guy shows up on the scene. All right. I don't know who he is. He doesn't introduce himself. He's not a homeless guy. Gets down next to my head and he starts whispering to me. Hey, have you uh, recently lost your job? Oh. I'm like, what? Are you, uh, did you, your girlfriend just break up with you? A pardon? Oh, I see where he's coming from. Yeah, and uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that nod, exactly. Mm-hmm. Have you been drinking? I, I inst- uh, yeah, I got it after a couple of questions. I'm like, okay, he works for the train company. Sounds like. And, he, and I said, no, no, I'm an independent filmmaker. He says something following that that I can't imagine another human saying to another human in this situation. I'm a bloody carcass of a mess. He says to me, okay, well, sir, are you aware that it is a federal offense (laughs) to detain railway traffic? I have no oxygen left in me, but I just start laughing my ass off. His job was there to make sure I didn't sue the train company. (laughs) Covering their ass. And these other two guys, are they still... Well, Raiders, was he wasn't doing me any favors, but Pink Pants certainly was. And, and that was the best $5 I've ever spent. And, you know, for years after that, I actually kept $5 in my left pocket for years to come. Oh, interesting. So you're standing on the, the rail of a train track. Maybe I should have been clear earlier, but I got my cameras out and I'm filming a train coming towards me. On a tripod. On a tripod. And it's honking away, you know. Okay. And I say out loud, don't worry, train. Mm-hmm. You're on those tracks over there. And I'm on these tracks over here. And then I was hit from behind. Oh. So this train's horn is distracting you? Uh, Well, that's a fine question. You know, do you yell at somebody without language to be able to, like, look behind you? You, It was drawing my attention forward. 
Well, yeah. Uh, as a train barreling towards you would. Huh? As a train barreling towards <laughs> you would. I was under a bridge. It might have only been the train behind me honking, yeah. or they were both honking, or whatever it was. Somebody was honking, and both those drivers knew that I was about to get creamed. Oh, so it was going to be a bad day for everybody. <laughs> so here's an interesting, weird offshoot, is that you know those arguments you have with yourself in your head that's like, oh, I should have this piece of pie. No, no, don't eat that pie. You're on mm -hmm. a diet. That's ridiculous. That's going to mess. Every day. Sure. We all fight that. Mm -hmm. I had the weirdest version of that. Okay. The, the most internally loud, screaming argument in my head that day. One part of me was saying, hey, Scott, that's a bad shot. The other half is like, no, no, that seems fine. No, no, bad shot, bad shot. And so then I make an adjustment to the camera. I don't know why it didn't mm. seem wrong. I was in a good position. But this voice. Yeah, bad shot, bad shot. Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about? The shot's fine. And then it started screaming, bad shot, bad shot, bad shot. And then boom, I was hit. So I was just misinterpreting this warning, which was there. I just didn't understand. just didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I mean. You know, you got to listen to yourself. There are factors going on. I, my body may have been feeling the air pressure condensing as the train's coming towards me. There may have been a lot of senses that I was not interpreting properly. And the next thing you know, you feel like you woke from a dream. I did. Yeah, I was certain it was a dream mm -hmm. right up until the guy said, hey, this camera is ruined. And, you know, suddenly I knew where I was. And that wasn't a good feeling. No. And then, and then after the guy says, hey, it's a federal offense to detain railway traffic, it turns out it, the people that showed up were the uh, engineers from both trains. They were both doing about 80 miles an hour, and it took them several miles to stop their train. And they ran back towards where I was, which took something like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 minutes before they got there. Those are long trains. 911 also shows up. They come down. They're looking at the tourniquet. They're like, we can do better than that. They re-tourniquet my leg. They wrap some shit up. Up, and they're like, okay, we're going to get you out of here. And unfortunately, I mean, I, I never got to my phone. I would have loved to take some pictures there at the time. Would have been great. I was down there to take pictures. My camera's destroyed, but I had another camera in my pocket that was like a little point-and-shoot camera that fit in an Altoids tin. Somebody there, I think it was Raiders, as a matter of fact, opened the Altoids tin, found the camera, turned it on, took a picture of the scene, and put it back in the case. And that ended up at the hospital with my stuff later on and I have that picture it must be hard to look at it's not that gory because it's from a distance and the guy didn't exactly come in and take a full set which would have been great <laughs> great <laughs> well I guess you would have figured out how to use that in your movie you're certainly talented enough but you've got a great attitude Scott so 911 has eventually been called the ambulance shows up I imagine how did they get you out of there? I was underneath the 6th Street Bridge. A stretcher was lowered down to me from above, and I guess on a, a winch, okay. you know, a pulley yeah. system. It, and I was put onto the stretcher, and then it was winched up into this truck. I was put into the truck and zoomed off to the hospital. And certainly in critical condition. But what a relief. Now, a full two days went by before I made it into surgery. What? Two days? The general hospital I went to, the main hospital in L.A., the one actually used as the exterior for the soap opera General Hospital. Oh, yeah, I remember that show. I was there. Okay. Well, at least you're in good hands now. Um. It was um, unhappy there. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. 
There were a lot of people. It was filled to the brim. They wouldn't give me any water or drink because I needed to have 24 hours without any liquids in me. So when I was put under, I wasn't, you know, peeing myself or whatever. I don't Mm. know. Or puking. And so they gave me these just like lemon-soaked sponges to lick Mm. for two days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like hell. An ex-girlfriend came in and my buddy Joel, who was the other half of the movie, came in. He saw me. He fell on the floor (laughs) unconscious. That actually happens. I spent my time telling people it's okay everything's fine the ex-girlfriend it's okay everything's fine joel don't don't worry man but they came in they they that's just how messed up you are on the outside right well that says a lot a producer i was working with i was making commercials for nbc he showed up okay i'm itchy and i start scratching my head and he said oh wow please stop doing that i'm like what's the problem he's like well you're scratching your skull because <laughs> it was exposed Great. And so, uh, without missing a beat, I say to him, well, when am I going to get another chance to do this? <laughs> then the doctor came in and said, hey, we're going to clean you up. And I'm like, can you bring me my camera first? Okay. And they brought the camera, my just the cell phone camera. I took a few selfies. Oh, so you do have pics. They are disgusting. They're up on my website. You can go see them if you want. What's your website? IHQ.LA. They're under the button that says do not press. Well, that's fair warning. In the about Scott. So that's your professional website, IHQ.LA. Yeah, but they're gross. Well, then I'm not even going to take a look at it. Hi. Hello. Do you go downtown? I sure do. Thanks. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Thank you. Of course, it's been years, but um, now I know your family, Scott. Yeah. So I'm really wondering about them and how they found out about this horrible situation. The family hears it from my business partner at the time. My mom and dad get on a plane the next day and they're down just as I was going into surgery. Okay. They were let into my apartment and I have a full-size me and carbonite hanging from the wall in my apartment. Oh, yeah. You sent a picture of that. It's... Han Solo from Empire Strikes Back in Carbonite. Uh, Han Solo, exactly. (laughs) Except it's, you know, me. And so I'm not a narcissist, I swear. Uh, It makes a really great piece of art on your wall. The foot in that is missing, right? Like it's inside the carbonite away somewhere. And when my mom walked in, she said, I saw that carbonite and your foot is not there. And then coming in and seeing that you were just like that, that made me so upset. Uh, Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Uh, I feel so sorry for her there. And now you're missing a foot. Which is now (laughs) still still missing. missing. The foot never... (laughs) It never grew back. (laughs) No, it hasn't grown back after all these years. Can you believe Mm. that? And hence, I have this now beautiful robot leg. What do you think? Wow, yeah. Hey, look at that high tech. That's something uh, that looks straight out of Star Wars. Yeah. That's quite amazing, actually. (laughs) Did you ever hear anything more from those guys from the L.A. River? The pink track pants guy. My friend found him, and he asked, did you ask something from Scott in order to call the police? And the fellow said, you know what? Yeah, I think I asked for $2. Oh. And I found that really interesting. He was a little embarrassed about asking for money, but somehow the idea of lowering it somehow in his mind maybe made it okay. Yeah, that's strange. Whether it's $5 or $2. um... I mean, look, I don't fault the guy for asking for that money. If I didn't have $5 and said, look, I'll get it to you. And he said, thanks anyway. Let me know when you have the money and walked away. That would suck. Yeah, it sure would suck. I mean, it, it sounds like you had just moments to spare, you know, and if he's homeless... Um... I think he lived in the L.A. River. Oh, yeah? So I guess he heard that you survived. He heard I survived because my friend <clears throat> would have said, look, he's okay, he's recovering. Um... So what about this hospital state? It must have been 
pretty rough, and I imagine very expensive. It was expensive. I was not insured. <laughs> not insured. <laughs> Uh-oh. I had been working for NBC at this point six years, I think, uh, as a freelance. I had built up quite a nest egg. But I was only six days in the hospital, and it all went to medical bills. They cleaned me out. Oh, shit. <laughs> wow. I found out years later, people were like, oh, yeah, I've had huge medical bills. Just don't pay them. That's how it works down here. <laughs> um, uh, that didn't seem right. Yeah, but uh, what, a, what a setback. <laughs> <laughs> and I had just sent you that script. We never got to work on it at all. No, we didn't. I guess you're right. Sorry about that. Which one was that again? Oh, I guess it doesn't matter right now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it's so good that you survived, and I'm glad to see that you're getting back up on your... Uh, on your feet. <laughs> Sorry to put it that way. Um. Oh my god. <laughs> but you know, this is not the first time you've had an encounter with a train. If you recall, way back when we were 12, we made our way by bus to uh, the Museum of Technology and then to McDonald's, where we spent our remaining bus fare. Uh-huh. So we had a big hike home. A few miles. I remember that. And on the walk home, we passed under a train's bridge. Yeah. And we went up onto it to use our remaining nickels and pennies to flatten them on the track. I had forgotten about that. And we thought, let's use the bridge. So if the pennies bounced off the track, they wouldn't be lost in the field. We could find them easier. Sure, yeah. It was only a few minutes. Yeah. I remember putting my ear down to the track like we had seen in the movies. And I told you I could hear something coming. I think you were skeptical at first, <laughs> but we looked up and there. There it was, barreling straight for us. Then the horn sounds, <laughs> and we were on the bridge over a highway. That's right. So we just ran and ran to get off that bridge. Yeah. But it was just like from the movie, um, Stand, Stand By, by me. me. Sure. <laughs> I was back in Canada in Vancouver doing a movie. And uh, this would have been, I don't know, three years oh, three before. three years before this accident, okay. We needed a scene where a guy got hit by a train, strangely enough. <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern here. We only had maybe five feet away from the actual train itself and mounted a little miniature camera. The shot looked amazing. But the camera's on the tracks. And then ran the cables okay. over, and it was in this tunnel where they went speeding through at 80 miles an hour, whatever it was doing, and yeah. honking away. And mm. we're looking at the feed from this camera. It, it was so beautiful. The train came in mm. but it was so heavy and the ground was shaking it was kicking up all this dirt and paper and dust and probably little pebbles and we're getting pelted by these pebbles we're looking at it as though we're under the train it, watching this video with all that visceral feedback of the train actually going by within a few feet of you yeah. it was like we were under that thing and we both just started screaming <laughs> but you know anything for the movies right apparently so well you're still making movies which is a Amazing. I remember when we used to make short Star Wars movies on 8mm film with cardboard settings, toy models, and homemade paper mache masks. That's right. Little Star Wars movies. Yeah, we did a bunch of those. It was a lot of work. We'd hang out at your house after school most days and work on these sets and costumes. Yeah. Weeks would go by sometimes before you were ready to burn through even a few seconds of film. Oh my god, yeah. And then it was hours of splicing it together and etching in glowing lightsabers and laser beams. You know, maybe we should have been doing our homework, but yeah, it was a lot of fun and a good way to stay out of trouble. And not only do you continue to work in film, but you end up working on Star Wars films with George Lucas. I did. <laughs> well, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> That's another story. Let's just do that another time. Sure. Oh, I just missed my stop. 
Can you let me out here? Oh, yeah, sure. Let me just pull over to somewhere safe along the curb. And, uh, here you go, Scott. I'll come back on this bus. This was great. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to catch up again. And thanks for telling me and half my passengers that story. I know it can't be easy to tell, let alone go through all of that. It's funny. Like, there's so much humor in it. I'm not at all psychologically put off from talking about it whatsoever. Well, that's amazing, and I'm glad. Even right after the thing, uh, as mm. I said, like when I was in the hospital and people were showing up and just the look on their face, the horror, I felt this obligation to tell people, look, man, it's okay. Everything's fine. Everyone else is worrying more than yourself. Yeah, that rings true. Okay, Scott. Well, uh, I'll have to go visit you down in L.A. soon. Before that, let's make some movies together. Oh, yeah. You know, let's make this movie together. You know, we could tell this story as a... How about as an animated podcast? Animated podcast. Absolutely. Let's make this as a 3D animation. I've been doing a lot of that lately. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, it'd be fun. Great. And I'll check out your website at uh, IHQ. All right, man. All right. I'm out. Thanks so much for the ride. Oh, you're welcome. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Take care, Scott. And stay off the tracks, everybody.